0: Welcome to the Where Humanity Meets Technology podcast. Your company is forever going to be at risk.
1: Cybersecurity does impact us all. That is the way cybersecurity breaches occur. What is that one aspect that keeps you up at night? We are much more exposed than then before. This is our podcast. We can provide
0: great customer service in a secure way.
1: That is just like spot on. Cybersecurity today is out of control. I believe infinite innovation. The unknown risk is what's so important there. Understanding the context is a totally different thing altogether. Excellent information where we talk to business leaders about cybersecurity, data management and
0: advanced digital solutions to provide strategies to increase the profitability of your company
1: thanks for everything and we'll talk to everyone soon hello everyone my name is maurice hamilton i want to welcome everybody to our podcast where humanity meets technology this is a podcast that i have a chance to actually meet with c-level executive business leaders writers authors industry leaders just to have a conversation about how we can utilize what's happening in humanity and use the technology to actually help mankind in the long run. Uh, today I actually have Isaac Morehouse with us. Uh, Isaac Morehouse is a author. He's an author of eight books. He's written over 1500, articles and blogs. He is a uh, podcaster, speaker. And I'm really happy to have them here so we can actually get down to the nitty-gritty of talk about sales and partnerships and things that are, are truly dear to my my heart there. So Isaac is re- I'm really happy to meet you today. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Maurice. Uh, I love the humanity and technology uh that that concept of where they where they meet. I think that's awesome. I think uh it's easy to kind of either be like in the camp of technology is our savior or the camp of technology is going to destroy us and i think the reality is like finding that finding that beautiful intersection uh that's really what it's all about so thanks for having me on you're welcome. So so I have
1: to go back and ask the first question. And the question, and it's just like in generality, how did you actually get to where you are today? How did you actually start and, and what motivated you and drove you to actually say, I'm going to tell everybody a story. I want to tell them a story about how sales and relationships and integrity and honesty and trust are built into
0: everything that we do. Isaac, how did you start? Man, that's such a, it's a wild question. It's such an unlikely journey. So you know, you, you've got, what, three decades of experience working in sales and uh, IT space, enterprise. I I come to it relatively new to the sort of B2B uh, tech world. I came through, I worked at nonprofits for a long time, mostly working with students, working with young people. And then I founded a company in 2013 um, that helped young people break into uh, tech startups in in non-technical roles. So like, SDRs, uh, marketing, you know, rep set customer success. So it was a, a boot camp that we'd train them, then we'd place them in apprenticeships at these companies and continue to mentor them throughout and then help them get full time placement afterwards. Um, great company, still exists. Uh, I, I exited that in 2019, started a company, a venture backed company this time, um, with uh, to, to create a platform for job seekers, basically to help them show their skills uh, tangibly through projects and video pitches instead of just sending out generic resumes and worked on that for three years, um, could not get significant traction in terms of the like the, the volume we needed to be a venture-backed play in the consumer space, um, could not get the volume, had, had a lot of really peop- uh, successful users, but not not the volume we needed. But we had a really successful sort of media component. And, th- and this was the same with my my first company, Praxis. We basically built everything with organic, like no no paid marketing. It was just a lot of content and a lot of, to your point, I mean, I've, I've just written tons and tons of articles and books and podcasts and mostly in the career space, like how to get your career started, early career type stuff, um, how to sell yourself, right? Which is like everyone's first sales job is going and winning that first job, convincing someone to hire me. That's a very big sale. You know, if you think about typical starting salary, it's like you're closing a 50k, 60k enterprise sales deal. Uh, That's that's a big deal. And and that was honestly, it's so funny. I didn't see how much this would connect at the time. But when I was running Crash, the the platform for job seekers, we would always tell people run your job hunt like a sales process. So when you're do, if you're selling, you don't just go put one pagers on people's you know windshield in the parking lot you don't just email a bunch of people you've never met here's a one pager do you want to buy my product right you take the time you research them if you're talking about a 50k product let's say you research them you figure out who the decision makers are you work on multiple people from that company you talk to people that know them and have influence on them it's a play that we call nearbound we can get to that later um right you demonstrate value like helping job seekers to think that way Really helped me understand sales better. And I I had done fundraising for a nonprofit, like working with asking people for six, seven-figure gifts for a couple of years. So like I understood that type of sales process. It's the same thing, it's a sales motion. So anyway, fast forward after after you know, see, not getting the tech uh, the, the job hunt platform off the ground, but seeing that the media side worked, we sold the media as a media business, just sold the um the newsletter and the the podcast, all the things we were doing there. And I was looking for my next thing. And I talked to a good friend of mine, Jared Fuller. And he convinced me to come and start a media company in the B2B partnership space called Partner Hacker. And so I joined him on that ride and immersed myself getting familiar. I mean, I knew from placing students at a lot of these companies in a lot of sales roles and sometimes partnership roles. I had a a basic understanding, but didn't know uh, anything compared to somebody like you, right? Very new to me. So I was like just immersing myself in it, learning it. And we ended up um, getting acquired in January of this year by a company called Reveal. And I am now the CMO of Reveal. And uh, Reveal provides technology that helps basically people tap into their partnerships in their sales and marketing process to tap into the relationships that they have in their partnerships um, and bring those to um, influence deals and and um, you know accounts. And again, we can we can get into that that nearbound play. But so all that to say, I ended up in this space where now I'm primarily dealing with people who work in partnerships and sales and talking about how to actually go to market today and how different it is. And I came from a field that looks very different on its surface. But when I look back, the the things I was helping people do, the first principles involved, right? Like uh, learn out loud, live in market, you know, show your work, um, right? Like going, finding a few people that are trusted by the person you're trying to get access to instead of trying to spam them uh, with like volume from a from afar. All of these things have kind of like come into play in what I'm doing currently uh, for Reveal and uh, all the all the content we're putting out there around nearbound selling and, and doing things based on relationships. So that's kind of catches us up to the present in a nutshell.
1: I, I Isaac, I, I love that you said so many great nuggets there. And I like how you started the conversation where we're talking about, hey, you are the product. You are the product. You just can't go out there and dilly dally and just and send out fifty thousand resumes to everybody for it. You have you bought the word partnership, which is dear to my heart. Partnerships, and we can talk about that in a second here. And uh, and you and you talked about bringing some value to to the um, to the person, have trust and and uh, and have that relationship with people. So so and I look at the, like pre pandemic, I look at during the pandemic, and I look at post pandemic. Why do you think that partnerships are so crucial today?
0: Yeah, you know, I I have this framing where I think we've moved from the how economy to the who economy. So in the first couple decades of the digital era, let's say, um the predominant question if if you are selling software uh or really anything, but especially software, If you were the best at answering how questions, you usually would win. So when buyers would search, how do I solve X? How do I do Y? If you were the first search result, if you were showing up in in ads in their feed, if you were an email in their inbox or a call, helping them solve, here here's how you solve this problem, you would win. We have moved now because... The, the quantity of information is so vast. There is so much noise now. The average American sees up to 10,000 ad impressions a day. Like it depends on you know, where you are and where you work, but like it can get insane. The sheer quantity. So, no longer when you ask, How do I X? There's too many Google search results. People have gotten too good at gaming the SEO uh, game. The inboxes are overflowing. You tune out. So people are switching the question almost back to a, a pre-digital age question. Who? Who do I go to? Who has solved this problem before? Who do I trust to point me in the right direction? And they're kind of looking to nodes of trust, people that, that they have established trust with them already from you know either having done it before themselves or having a reputation of being helpful, being valuable. And so in that world, this is where Partnerships and particularly what we call a nearbound strategy are so important. And nearbound simply defined is just the act of going to tapping into those your buyers already trust for Intel intros and influence all along the buyer journey. So there's something like, uh, according to, I think it's catalyst, like 28 distinct moments on a typical buyer journey. How many of those moments is your company a part of? it's something like on average three or four. So all those other moments, other people are a part of those moments and are influencing that buyer. It could be an agency they work with. It could be another company, another vendor that they're already a customer of. It could be a friend of theirs. It could be a podcast host, right? Anyone that they trust. So when you look at that, if you are not working with those people to surround your buyer along that journey, you're going to lose out to those who are. And so the nearbound play is basically recognizing this reality, this shift where people now, especially with COVID, it accelerated everything being digital. People are overwhelmed with the information and webinars and options and and all of these things, content. So they're looking to people. They're looking to those they trust. And so for, for companies, we're telling them, look, you already have a network of partnerships. You already have tech partners. You already have agency partners. And they probably know a lot of the people you're trying to sell to. And when you're, when you're doing that sale, if you say, oh, look, it turns out this tech partner, that's already a customer of theirs. Maybe I can go to them and say, hey, I'm stuck in procurement. Could you give me some intel about what you went through? Hey, would you mind giving some influence on this deal or setting up an intro? Just tapping into the people that already exist in your network, those partners for Intel intros and influence along the buyer journey, that's really the play. That's as simple as it is, but it's really profound because a lot of people are just stuck in the like, just keep doing the same outbound, keep doing the same inbound and ignoring this whole network of influence that surrounds the buyer that they have access to.
1: Wow, that's intel, intros and influence. So when I think about that, you think about like, I'm looking at a timeline. It doesn't matter where you are in your career. If you apply those same principles, it still works.
0: Yeah timeless it's timeless and that's what i love like getting down because i'm i'm never going to pretend to be uh the seasoned expert as you are in this in this industry in this space and so i'm not coming you know saying hey listen i know everything about running uh b2b sales teams or partnerships teams but i'm i'm trying to get down to those first principles that are always applicable and to understand how as things change tactics need to shift and stay connected to those same principles, but need to shift in terms of how those are being executed. So I think this really unique opportunity you opened with, uh, you know, the blend of of humans and technology to take what's amazing about the digital world, the scalability, the the infinite reach, um, the efficiencies there, the automation, and then pair it with the things that are so valuable in the human world. Because I feel like we almost had this early days of tech everyone just got so excited that now we have all this data we can do all this retargeting we can do all this automation we can do all these outbound sequences and inbound play. we can set all this process up and get all the information out and and distribute it very efficiently and now that we've sort of like maxed out on those tactics everyone's kind of fatigued and people are sort of reverting to the pre-technological sort of world which was you ask somebody you know you ask somebody you trust and i think the marriage of those two saying how can we blend the real relationships and connections and the trust along with processes that can be scalable and that can be automated and it's not only Those you trust are not limited to who lives in your local city like they were in the pre-digital age. It can be anyone globally. It can be a podcaster on the other side of the world. And being able to tap into that and tie it in to those inbound and outbound strategies that that are still valuable, they just need to be connected with something real and to be tapping into trust that has been built with buyers from individuals along the process.
1: Interesting. And when you were saying that, I thought immediately of the dozens and dozens of email requests I get through LinkedIn where people either trying to sell me something or someone may be looking for a job. But you're right. I won't pay attention to that. And nine times out of 10, I'm probably going to delete it because it doesn't bring any value to me because they may have value, but I'm not going to give them a time of day for it. However, that person who I trust, somebody who I know, if they call me up and say, hey, Maurice, hey, I want you to check out so-and-so and and they're actually talking about this new, uh, whatever it x whatever it is, Why don't you give them a chance to let them speak with you? I said, okay, no problem. Have them call me and I'll tell them between this time because I'll set a time for them because I trust and value the person who's actually giving me that information. And And you're right. The fundamentals are based on the trust and the relationships I have with those people. It does make a big difference.
0: Bingo. Absolutely. It's funny when I was doing nonprofit fundraising and learning that whole world, um, and this was back before I, I knew about any of this stuff. Uh, it's just funny to think now the language we use. We had um, what you what we call natural partners. So you would look at someone, a wealthy individual who had a history of supporting various causes, and let's say whatever you know cause you're working on is, seems to be similar to things that they're interested in. And so you want to get an audience with them and see if they want to support some of your initiatives. People who are very wealthy and who are doing a lot of philanthropy, they have insane amounts of people coming to them knocking on their door saying you should donate to my cause and so they have gatekeepers they have processes they're they're purposefully hard to access that's a way of like protecting themselves right and so you can't just go to them directly you can't get their personal number or personal email usually if you just send a cold email to someone over at their company or wherever they are their their foundation probably won't get much. Sometimes they have bureaucratic processes to like fill out grant requests and things, but that usually is like a filtering mechanism. So what you do is you look for natural partners. You look for someone who's already a donor to your organization who may have a relationship with them. Maybe you see that, oh, this person's a donor to our organization and they sit on the board of another organization with this person, right? And you go to them and say, hey, I'm trying to get a meeting with them to tell them them about this initiative. Would you be willing to give me some intel on them at the very least, maybe give me an intro to them and say you should meet and maybe even influence them and say, Hey, I donate to this organization. I love them. I think you should consider it as well. That's almost the only way for high, high dollar donors to nonprofits. Almost the only way it's, it's almost impossible to get to them without going through someone who they already know and trust. Because you're just some person asking for money for yet another thing. It could be a scam for all they know, right? So, like, I learned that so well there and seeing that that's just the same. If you're selling a 10K, 50K, 100K, it doesn't matter. Uh, Software, you know, annual contract software, the the amount of noise, the volume, you just can't hit people directly like you used to. So, going through those nodes of trust is, is more important than ever.
1: I agree 100%. Something else that I picked up, I'm sure you've picked up on this also, and I think you wrote a book. I haven't read your book yet, but I want to read this book, and it's actually Don't Do the Stuff You Hate. And and I I think about that title. I haven't read it yet, but look look at that title. I can kind of sense the people who are actually, like, for example, in, in a job interview or trying to sell me something, they're doing it because it's a job. It's putting bread on the table. I get that. I understand. I've hired... And manage over thousands and thousands of salespeople over time. And you can see the ones who have the passion, but the ones that actually don't, that are not doing the stuff that they don't hate, the ones that are actually in a position where they, they, they love it. And they're so excited about it. That passion comes out pretty clear and you can actually go back and ask them certain specific questions and they can give you some really great examples of how they're actually utilizing that. Why can you talk, talk just briefly about that book there? And I, and I cause I love that title.
0: Yeah, uh, and as I said, you know, most of my most of my career and most of my writings and things have focused on kind of like personal growth, uh, you know, early career type stuff, education, entrepreneurship stuff in a more general sense. And that book is very much kind of again those first principles. That's a that's kind of a rule for myself that I developed. I asked myself, this was starting in probably my mid twenties. What if I made it a goal to never do stuff that I hate? What would that look like? how would i change what i say yes to what i say no to my priorities and it was very transformative for me and it turns out it's actually it's actually a lot harder than it sounds so when people hear that they sometimes translate it in their head to don't do stuff that's hard and it's like oh okay well don't do stuff i hate well i'll just sit around on the couch and eat cheetos all day but that's actually not correct because when you when you like if you watch a a, a kid for example i've got four kids if you watch a kid let's say playing a video game and they're trying to beat the final boss level, right? If you watch them closely, they—it's it, not easy. They're not having an easy time. In fact, they might be frustrated. It might be difficult and challenging, uh, and they may not even look particularly happy all the time. But it's—but it's fulfilling, right? It's kind of a fulfilling challenge. And so, like understanding. Hate is not the same as hard, right? Some of the best things, the most fulfilling, enjoyable things are actually really hard and are actually really challenging. So this is not about taking the easy way out, but it is about being honest when something, it's almost, it's easier to do stuff you hate or at least to do stuff that you kind of merely tolerate. Because if you're starting to dislike something or feel like this is not really aligned with who I am, you have to have hard conversations. You have to make tough choices. You have to take risks. You have to step into the unknown you have to risk your reputation sometimes to make changes and it's easier to just tolerate it. And and pretty soon if you keep just tolerating things that don't really resonate with who you are, you'll end up kind of living a life that you hate because that's actually the easier route, right? So like anyway, the um cho- choosing to to not do stuff you hate is like a challenge to yourself to to say you know, if I leave this meeting or this activity and I feel drained of energy and I feel unhappy with like who I am, can I change that? What would, what would it look like if I said, I don't ever want to have an interaction like that? Now you're never going to hit hundred percent of it, but like, what if I made it so that everything that I do, I want it to be something that I truly think is beneficial to me. That is additive to, to, to my life. It starts to really help you cut through the noise and you start to realize you'll, there are certain things you're doing just because you feel afraid that if you don't do it, people will think you're weird, but it really doesn't make you happy right? And like trying to get to that. And so if you're good at that, what me? What ends up happening is you end up being really good at whatever you do, because if you're not willing to do things you hate, then by definition, anything that's left over. And, and again, that's so much easier, by the way, than saying, I got to pick something that I love. I got to find my one true passion. That's really hard. I, I've never been able to identify the one thing, but if I can say, if I at least don't do stuff that I hate, I'm headed in the right direction, right? So like, if you eliminate that, you're headed in the right direction you interact with that person. You said it yourself. You get on a sales call with somebody, you get on a a call with somebody, you you meet somebody at an event. When they have that little spark of life, they're not hating what they do. They're kind of loving it or moving towards finding that perfect thing. Man, that's so much better. They're so much more effective. They're so much better at their job than someone who you kind of get the sense is like, living a tortured existence. So, uh, anyway, that, that book was kind of just a culmination of a lot of, uh, thinking and articles myself and a, and a, co-author uh, put together on that principle that I, I hold dear to, to this day. Wow. That's
1: awesome. That's excellent tips for our listeners. too. uh, two more questions for you. And, um, and the last question is going to be, I want to talk a little bit more about near, near, near bound and that's coming up in November. I want you to kind of like, uh, tell the audience a little bit about that, but before I get there, I mean, we've had some really good conversations. We touched on some really great points and and uh, and uh topics about um, uh sales, relationships, partnerships, um talk, reaching out, uh Intel influence and um Intel influence and I, what was the other one? In- um,
0: intros. Intros. And,
1: and you need those intros, you know? Yeah. So it makes a yeah. the difference there. Uh I think that was really awesome there. Yeah. Uh, looking at the way things are today where where, where do you see this happening because everything is moving so fast it's it's accelerating and i like how you mentioned before all those seo optimization all those things that we did 2 years ago it doesn't work anymore and now with the introduction of um uh, artificial intelligence we got chat chat gpt and um and uh, Microsoft just announced that they're going to come out with something that's gonna uh, an AI that's going to integrate with with uh, all of their applications, like the Office 365 platform, which is going to be a game changer. It's going to be a really big difference there. How do you see that that when it comes to relationships and and uh, the uh, the introductions in the future? How do you think they think everything's going to play out within the next? Uh, let's just say, keep it a short period of time. Let's say the next one to three years.
0: Yeah, you know, the next one to three years. I think is likely still a transition phase enough to where like technically you could get away with trying to play some of the same games of like hacking, you know, uh, hacking people's trust or like trying to, you could kind of get away with it. It might not immediately destroy you, but if you recognize what's coming now and get ahead of it and zig when everyone's zagging, you're going to win. And here's what I mean. the you know ability to like let's say hack the algorithm and have your stuff show up at the top of the feed on LinkedIn or get your you know the best SEO rankings or even email open rates and deliverability all that stuff is like an arms race when you introduce AI and the rapid ability to iterate on those things it's going to get gamed so much even like the like people try to game trust all the time right so you'll get a you'll get a message that says like hey Isaac I saw that you went to Western Michigan University uh, go Broncos, right? They're trying to game my trust by tapping into, they, they assume that I trust the university I went to and they're trying to tap into that trust and borrow a little bit of it and show that they did some research. Now, most of the time those are wrong because they're like using some scraper and I'll get stuff all the time saying like, I see that you went to Clemson because I lived in South Carolina for a while. I'm like, I never went to Clemson, you know? So like you're, you're gone. But even the ones they'll get better, but they'll we'll also tune them out because we'll start to realize, just like with reviews, like everyone has a 4.7 star review on Amazon, right? Because like they start to get gamed eventually. So people will tune out those kind of, I would say like shallow ways to try to like tap into trust and game the system. And so depth and genuineness of connection is only going to increase in value. And so the people who recognize that now and stop trying to kind of hack into the like quick attention grabbing techniques and just like look for the way they can maximize the engagement and reach and the open rates with something that's kind of shallow and like maybe bordering on phony. Those who recognize that and say, I'm not even going to play that game because because maybe you can win it in the short term, but it's a losing arms race. It's like a race to the bottom and everyone's going to get tuned out eventually. I'm going to go deep when everyone goes broad and I'm going to look for those real connections and I'm going to say investing time and building trust with one really important influential person is is better than getting a shallow follow from 10 people. Um, and so I think that like just at the very basic level, the things that are the most uniquely human, the things that can't be replicated with uh AI, if you double down on those things now, you will be best positioned uh to win in the in the coming years.
1: Well, folks, there's there's a reason why he is reading over 1500 articles <laughs> and eight books. There's a lot of information that we're gathering just in this 30 minutes here, um, with these, uh, this, uh, advice that we're receiving from Isaac here. One last question, Isaac. And we talked a, a little bit about Nearbound earlier, and I know that you have an event coming up in November. Uh, I, I, I'm excited just to hear about the, the details of that and to say, wow, I, I know some people. Who, who definitely can attend and, and uh, especially that's just new graduates from college. Can you talk a little bit more about Nearbound that's coming up in uh, in the fall?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Nearbound is a concept, uh, just like Outbound and Inbound, a strategy of how to, you know, go go to market, how to reach buyers, influence them, um, as I said, by tapping into those they already trust. But it's also uh, the concept we've really like embraced and are kind of evangelizing at at Reveal, um, and so we have a an event, uh, the Nearbound Summit, and you can go to nearboundsummit.com. And we, we actually, we did a summit last year and we didn't have the nearbound concept yet. We hadn't like nailed down how to describe this process of tapping into partners. So we called it the partner-led the PLX summit, partner-led everything. And it's the same basic idea. And we've just rebranded it into the Nearbound Summit. And it's a four-day event and we have A day focused on each of the areas in a typical B2B company. So um, product, uh, what does it mean to build your product, taking into account all of the people that surround your buyers, uh, other companies that you might want to integrate with, taking feedback from those nodes of trust as you build and develop and roll out features, success, success. Sales and marketing. Each of them have separate track, separate day, and we're bringing in people. Um, you know, a lot of really, really high level people for each of those areas. Speaking on exactly what I what I opened up with the fact that we are now kind of in the who economy, and things are are we are things are built on trust, and so we have to work with people that buyers trust all along the process. What does that look like in practice? What are some of those tactics? What are some of those strategies? Um, and really, like this revolution of B two B go to market because outbound and inbound are getting crushed. They are like nobody's hitting quota right now. Um, so just doing more of the same isn't going to cut it. So what does it mean to to actually look at the way buyers want to buy and the way that they are influenced and who they're influenced by and work that into your motion? That's what the nearbound summit is all about. So we'll have some things that are a little bit more high level, like like we've talked about here at First Principles, but we'll get really tactical and in the weeds as well about how to implement this across each department because it's. You know, partnerships is treated like a department. And I think the key here is that partnerships, whether or not you have a partnerships department, it's a strategy. Nearbound is the strategy of bringing those partnerships, those relationships into the motions across your other departments. And that's really what this what this uh, event is all about. So you can go to nearboundsummit.com, you can register for free. It's a it's a virtual event, but we have physical workbooks that we're shipping to everyone where you can go through session by session, take notes, it's got information, QR codes for the speakers, all that kind of stuff in there. Um, a lot. Of, it's a really cool experience. We have our own we create our own music uh, that we produce for it and like playlists. And we kind of create a whole like retro future vibe. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's, it's unlike any typical business conference. I can tell you that.
1: Well, this when you do this conference in a couple of years, when you actually have the metaverse, people can put on the metaverse goggles and, and that they can really have that immersive experience because they can actually feel like they're right in front of you having a conversation. That's going to be right. a big, unique experience there. So you heard it here, folks. So we talked about the product, the, uh, uh, success, sales, marketing. And, uh, and I like how you also mentioned about the who economy. And I always tell people, and I've been saying this for years now, it's not sometime necessarily what you know is who you know that makes a difference. And we you're right. It is a who economy. Everything you said here is spot on. And, um, and Isaac, I'm really happy to have you actually give some advice and, and, uh, to our audience here. And I, and I think that this wisdom that you shared today is, is, uh, is very relevant to the way we actually live our lives today.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Maurice. Honored to be here. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, audience. You
1: heard it here. We, I said it's going to be a really great conversation today, and I said it's going to be a hot topic, and and Isaac definitely delivers. So, we want to thank you all. Uh, for listening to our podcast today where humanity meets technology. I'm your host, Maurice Hamilton. If you like it, please send some comments on us and let us know. Uh, if, if you may want to have another podcast with Isaac in the future after the event. And let's, let's get some uh, results on that and, and talk about that, uh, about what the uh, what the people, what the audience had to say. So thank you everyone for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day.